Belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for October 23rd, 2022 is called Two Days Later. The speaker is John Ray, and it was recorded on Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. It is really good to see everybody this morning. Whether you're listening on the podcast or here with us in person or on Facebook Live, my name is John Ray. This is Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. Um, one of William Faulkner's most famous lines is, the past is never dead. It's not even the past. And I think about this a lot, both as a um, professor of history and, and to some extent a student of history um, and someone who thinks a lot about the past and how it forms us in the essence of our Christian formation. The older I get, the more I'm amazed at how memories change, how my evaluation of events in the past change, and how my experience of the past changes. I'm learning to discern from those formative experiences differently, more wisely, more compassionately, more critically. But I got to tell you, it's a lot of work. It takes work to reconsider and reevaluate your past. But when done in conjunction with sober discernment of our future and a present awareness of our life as we live it, I think we find a key to what Jesus instructs us to do and what the apostles instruct us to do in this idea of living righteously with that. This is a a basic obligation of all who follow Jesus. But the question comes, how does it work? Well, and we see this address. So this is the last chapter. We've been studying the Petron letters. We started with Jude and we went through 1 Peter and now we're ending with 2 Peter. And I got to tell you, it ends on on kind of a weird note. Um, There's a lot of language in this last chapter that doesn't really fit our modern imagination. It doesn't really fit our modern understanding scientifically in a lot of ways. It uses some language which is pretty archaic, which we'll address here. Um, but if we, can, if we can sift through that, if we can filter it, if we can take the parts that, that really are there and, and bring them out and leave the parts that we don't understand or maybe are archaic in a sense, there, there is a real truth here that in a way sums up I think what Peter is getting at in both of his epistles, in addition to the letter of Jude. Um, so let's look at the text, and I'll stop and make a couple observations, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll try to draw some things out of here. So this is Second Peter, chapter three. Dear friends, this is already the second letter I have written to you, in which I am trying to stir up your pure mind by way of reminder. I want you to recall both the predictions foretold by the holy prophets, and I loved what Shannon did last year, or last week, not last year, last week about talking about the difference between prophets and teachers and and the things with that. So I want you to recall both the predictions foretold by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through his apostles. Above all, understand this. In the last days, blatant scoffers will come, being propelled by their own evil urges, and saying, 
Where is his promised return? For ever since our ancestors died, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately suppressed the fact that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by means of water. Through these things, the world existed at that time and at that time was destroyed when it was deluged by water. But the same word, the, by the same word, the, same, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and by destruction of the ungodly. Now, that is not the most scientific ex, uh, explanation we have of how the elements work. We have to understand, this is, this is a pre-scientific understanding that has an internal logic within the text, but we understand now, as, as 2,000 years later, elements work in a little bit different way. So we have to be... We have to be careful not to be overly controlled by this, not overly dismissive. They were doing the best they had with what they had, but also understand, hey, this was written in a certain time, in a place with a certain understanding. It's also really important for us, and this is, what a, this is a basic um, fundamental pillar of exegesis of the New Testament, is that we have to understand this community had what we would call an apocalyptic anticipation. They, they expected Jesus to come back within their lifetime. This is an inescapable reality of reading the text, is that in the letters you see this, you see this urgent um, expectation that, that the believers who were coming to follow the Lord Jesus were, were within their lifetime going to see that physical return. And so there's an urgency in these writings with that. Now, that helps us understand the text, but it also presents a problem for us as modern readers. I, I got to tell you, it would be easy for me to stand up here and blow smoke and say, oh, yeah, well, I, I, I believe that too. I believe that, you know, Jesus could come at any time. And, and there's part of me that does but there's also part of me that realizes that there's been 2,000 years that have passed. There, there's part of me that has to deal with the reality that these people who expected Jesus to come back didn't see it happen. And they were convinced it was going to happen. This wasn't, a, this wasn't a small thing of their belief system. This was, a, this was a pillar of how they lived. So while it helps us understand the text, it also presents a problem for us. Are, are we supposed to follow that? I mean, are we supposed to add ourselves to a generation after generation after generation of people who have anticipated, prayed for, longed for, looked for? Or are we supposed to just say, well, hey, that's, that's just something that they misunderstood. It's never going to happen. It was all metaphorical. We don't have to live that way at all. And I think we have to... I think we have to reject both of those things. And we'll, we'll get into that as we go. Because I think that's kind of the key to living righteously, as we'll see here. So he says, now, dear friends, do not let this thing escape your notice. That a single day is like a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years is like a single day. And this gives us a key to interpreting this. That passage right there, that, that is, oh, wait a minute. Okay, hold on. 
maybe this maybe time isn't working quite the way that we think it does with this. So we have this interpretive key in the in verse eight, and then it goes, "The Lord is not slow concerning His promise, as some regard slow, slowness, but is being patient towards you because He does not wish for any to perish, but all to come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. When it comes, the heavens will disappear with a horrific noise and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze and the earth and every deed done on it will be laid bare. Now, stop here for a second as well. As a kid and as a young adult, I, lived up, I grew up in a time where there was an entire end-time industry. Publishing and preaching and products that were geared around this creating this, and it wasn't, it wasn't a godly anticipation. It wasn't like a joyful longing. It was like a fearful preparation. I mean, it was, it was based in this idea of vengeance and separation and, and um, escapism with it. And we have to recognize that a lot of that was fueled by taking a verse, verses like these that we just read and making them the main point of the passage. That these verses were taken out of context. They were, they were emphasized improperly and made to be the focus of the passage. And as we read this as a whole, we start to see that's not the, that's not the main thing. And again, these are metaphors these are things that are being used. These are, these, this is a people who is, a, who is steeped in a, in a supernatural imagination, way of understanding the world, that these words would make sense very different. They would, they would land very differently than they land to us with that. So we have to recognize that. Um, and what we see is that if we emphasize that, we miss the next thing. And the next thing is what we should be focusing on. So he says, since all these things will melt away in this matter, what sort of people must you be? So here comes the question again. What sort of people should we be in the context of this? Conducting yourselves in holiness and godliness while waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of this day, the heavens will be burned up and dissolved. The celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze. But according to his promise, we who are waiting for the new heavens and new earth, in which righteousness truly resides. Therefore, dear friends, since you are waiting for these things, strive to be found at peace without spot or blemish when you come into his presence. And regard the patience of your Lord as salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, speaking of these things in all his letters. Some of these things in the letters are hard to understand. He, this subtle dig at Paul. Don't you like it? A little apostolic jealousy there going on. Like Peter's just kind of sideways sticking it to Paul. Um, some of these things are hard to understand. Things the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they, are, as they also do the rest of Scripture. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard. I loved what Shannon, again, last week, she talked about, hey, we, there's not many of us that are maybe end up false teachers, but a lot of us can follow false teachers. It was just a great insight. So be, be on your guard that you're not led astray by the error of these unprincipled men and fall from your firm grasp on the truth. 
but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the honor both now and on that eternal day. Amen. So what I would, what I would like to suggest from this, if we can understand the contextual nature of it, if we can understand that the language has an internal logic for the people in the place, but doesn't necessarily translate well to ours. We, we, we don't read the Bible without recognizing the scientific advancements we have, the understanding of elements, the understanding of how things work. But also being able to discern what is the message here. And I think, I think what Peter is getting here is that a big part of living righteously is a continual practice of ordering our lives in such a way that we understand the past, are fully present to our current circumstance, and discern what is to come. And the, and the way we do this is we grow in the practice of following Jesus. He ends it with this thing. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and, Jesus, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the key. That's the thing. That's the thing this whole thing is pointing at. That's what Peter is continually reminding us. Know Jesus. Look at Jesus. Follow Jesus. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the thing that is here. So we grow in the practice of following Jesus, grow in the experiential knowledge of Jesus, meditate on the promises of what is to come, and discern lessons from the past. Well, easier said than done, right? Look, I don't have to tell you all, we live in a society that is, and, and I don't use this in a, in a derogatory or dismissive way, but, it, but I think our society as a whole is, is, exhibits characteristics of being bipolar. Like we're either like, everything is great. This is awesome. Look at all the stuff we get to do, right? We, we, and it creates this weird thing of FOMO. There's just so much to do. There's so many things we can do. There's so many cool things that are being developed. Places we can go, transportation, information, technology. It's like, wow, this is great. It's just going to be one big, long party. How much can I get? And believe me, we got people that are selling you. They're, they're happy for you to think that way. They're making a lot of money selling the next great experience, the next big thing, the next advance. It's like, this is going to be great. It's just going to go on forever. Don't worry. Be happy. Bye, bye, bye. Don't worry about the effects. Don't worry about the environment. Don't worry about all the other stuff. Let's just do it. Don't worry about getting old. Don't worry about all those other things. Just, just go from one high to the next high with that. That's, that's pretty close to what I think the, the people specifically in this chapter that Peter is warning us against are the people that are saying, don't worry, man. Don't worry. Just get the next thing. Just chase the next thing. And so we... We do that, it's like we mainline it, right? Like we're just living on it, we're living on it, we're living on it. But what ultimately happens with all things like that? Man, you crash. You hit a wall. Like we're, just even physiologically, psychologically, mentally, we're not, we're not capable of sustaining that constant high like that. And inevitably, we're going we're gonna to crash. And just like there's somebody there ready to sell us the latest fad, the latest experience, the latest high, there's somebody there set to profit off the crash. 
But instead of healing, instead of bringing reality, they're like, you're right. It's all bad. It's all going to burn. It's all going to die. You got to build a bunker. You got to buy freeze dried foods. You got it. You got to hunker down, man. Like it, it's terrible out there. Everybody is your enemy. You got to look out for you. And, you. and again, at the root of it is a sell motivation. They're going to sell you something. They're going to sell you an idea. They're going to sell you a program. They're going to sell you. Um, my gosh, I, it's, it's been a while now, but reading the, the uh, article about they take these old nuclear missile silos out like in the middle of the cornfields of South Dakota and they've converted them into luxury bunkers for, for people to escape the apocalypse, apocalypse from. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I, I would rather be burned to a crisp <laughs> in some kind of nuclear holocaust than, than live underground in a nuclear bunker for the rest of my life. Like, that just sounds horrible to me. But they make these really nice. They put swimming pools in them and flat screen TVs. and I don't know. But, but again, we, we vacillate, right, between this cycle of, you know, get all you can get and five alarm fire with nihilism. And honestly, look, you would not be... You would not be wrong if on the surface you read this and go, well, isn't that what Peter's selling? Isn't that what Peter says? He says, look, it's all going to burn up. There's fire coming. There's all this destruction. Shouldn't we be running around proclaiming, hey, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. But when we look deeper... And when we look at this in the context of all of Scripture, we're going to see that there, there is something different going on. And I asked the question earlier, you know, or I posed the, posed the conundrum earlier, that as we read this, if, if Jesus didn't come back for this early church that was actively expecting them, and, they, and look, that, that anticipation didn't die with them. Subsequent generations of Christians also Stake like a lot of them stake their whole reputation on Jesus would come back in their lifetime. I'm old enough to remember the the book Ninety Nine Reasons Jesus is going to come back in 1999, right? Like accompanied with the Y2K, it was a big deal. Again, it was, there was a whole there's whole industry around end time stuff with that. Um, but if we are going to dismiss the fact that, yes, there, there is going to be... Look, here's the thing. Our lives matter. What we do matters. Our choices matter. And one of the reasons why they matter is because there, we are moving... There is a telos to our lives. There is a, there is a way that we are moving towards... We're moving towards something. It's not just an endless cycle. We don't believe that it's just an endless cycle, never ending, ever repeating. There is an end in this. And I believe that it's difficult for us to see that, what that is. Again, I, this is a tough text, y'all. I've grappled with it. I've grappled with a lot of these Ideas for most of my life. And uh, and I don't know that I have a I don't know that I have a clean answer. 
to it. Other than I know that that your life matters. And the primary way I think that we are to be righteous, the call to righteousness here, is in our relationships. The primary way we express righteousness is not in some moral checklist, not in some contractual obligation to do this or don't do that, but is in how we live our lives among each other, with each other, how we relate to one another. Is that done, is that done with sobriety? Because the way, the answer to these two things is not to find some middle ground. The answer to this is not to balance, you know, this apocalyptic running around or this freewheeling narcissistic treasure hunting, pleasure hunting. It's not to balance those two things. No, it, it's something different. Um, and I think that thing is, is sobriety. Is it we're to be sober, we're to, we're to look back at the past and we're to understand it and we're, see, and we're to seek to constantly evaluate the past. Constantly evaluate the things, the formative experiences of life, what things mean. As we get older, we understand more. So we, we look back with discernment. We also look to the future and we go, you know what? Jesus may come back. Whatever that means, however that looks. That may happen in my lifetime. It may not. But I'm going to live in such a way that if it does... I'm not going to be shocked and I'm not going to be caught off guard. I'm not going to live my life in such a way that says, it just doesn't matter. Nobody cares. No, I'm going to live respectful of this life that I've been given, knowing that my life is a gift. Your life is a gift. Our lives are gifts given to us. And there's more meaning to them than just whatever we can get or preserving them at all cost. There's more meaning there than that. I don't know how it's going to look. I can't tell you how it's going to look. We don't have, they, they had a very descriptive imagination in this, in this divinized imagination. With our secular imagination, we really don't have words adequate. Maybe in art some, maybe in music some, but... But it's, it's rough go for us in our modern world. But we need to know that our lives have meaning with that. And so living soberly also says, understanding the past, looking forward to a future, anticipating a future, then I can be fully present here. I can be fully present here in my community, with my family, my partner, my friends, community where I live because I'm not I'm not I'm not deceived because that's that's the error that's what he starts with he says I, I want you to not be deceived I don't want you to be suckered I don't want you to be taken advantage of I don't want you to be sold a bunch of lies I don't want you buying all those lies I want you to live soberly my friend Seth Haynes, um, in his book, Coming Clean, he says, uh, we're all drunk on something. may not be alcohol. may not be drugs. 
maybe shopping, maybe porn, maybe work, maybe just escapism. We all have a tendency to be drunk on something. And I think that's what Peter is saying. It's like, hey, sober up. Sober up from whatever it is. Sober up. Not in that moralistic, you know, way, but because there's something more. There's something better. There's something bigger than this. I spent the all of yesterday grading papers, um, taking a couple weeks off from grading papers at school. Um, presented quite a backlash. Had about three hundred assignments I had to go through, and uh, these are all college freshmen, and we're studying the Old Testament, and uh, and just the constant. Um, the constant refrain in, in what we're reading. We're reading Lamentations right now. How exciting is that? Um, but the constant refrain of as we go through the Old Testament for these kids, and a lot of these kids grew up in church, is I've never heard this before. I've never read this before. I've never seen this before. And, and, I'm, and I'm like, I hear you. I get you. But wow, it's, it's really made me stop and assess what are we teaching in our churches? What are kids learning? What are we learning in church with this? And it sobered me for today. What am I going to teach? From this passage, what am I going to teach? Um, and I think I want to leave you with this. I'm going to ask Leon, come on back up. Luke. There is a way to approach this, and there is a way to live soberly and righteously. And it's not to fulfill some moral obligation to some faraway God who's got a moral checklist. No, it's a, it's a way of putting ourselves, of ordering our, our lives properly in the world. It's a way of being free from manipulation. It's a way to find freedom from addiction, excess, distraction and this is this is a thing to be cherished and sought after it's a thing that ultimately brings beauty and joy and it's a thing that ultimately in a way fits us for whatever is to come that whatever is to come however that looks whether you live to be 120 years old or whether we Walk out of here, and this is the last thing we remember. It fits us for that next thing to where we will only grow in it with that. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.